Hi, this is Corey Turner, and along with my wife Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. Welcome to everyone who's watching Numa Church online today, whether you are in the city of Melbourne, whether you're in the city of Perth, or in the city of Bangkok, at where any one of our locations are, or wherever you are in the world. It's such an honor for us to welcome you to be a part of our Numa Church family. And today we are starting a new series called Identity Crisis. Before I pray and we get into that, I just want to encourage everyone as we uh, navigate our own roadmap to the future of resuming live gatherings, that uh, you don't allow fear to stop you from joining back together when we can do that in the coming weeks and months. Can I encourage you? We're called to be people of faith. In fact, that's what a believer in Jesus is. We believe that Jesus is the answer. He is the way, the truth and the life. He is the solution to the brokenness of this world. And so let's be people of faith. Let's not allow fear to stop us from meeting back together again when we eventually get back to live gatherings. Also, can I encourage you, as great as our online church experience is, and it's been so helpful and needed in this season, it will never replace live gatherings. It's so important that you understand that we've been designed for connection. We've been designed for relationship. And so online services uh, will lead us back into live gatherings, but will never replace live gatherings. It's our hope and prayer and our desire in the coming weeks and months that we gather again together at every single one of our locations across Melbourne and in Perth. And we begin to see uh, God move powerfully uh, in live gatherings. It will happen. We're navigating what that looks like. More information will come over the coming weeks as we hear more from our government. But until then, let's keep praying. Let's keep focused and faithful in all that God has called us to do. Well, I'm going to pray and then we're going to get into our Identity Crisis series. Let's pray. Father, I thank you today that you're for us. You're not against us. I thank you, Lord, that you've done everything necessary for us to be reconciled and restored back to the Father. And I pray today, Holy Spirit, that you would give us ears to hear what your Spirit is saying to us, a heart to receive. Lord, we want to grow more like Jesus. We want to look more like Him in a world that is so uh, caught up in image. Father, teach us what our identity in Christ really looks like. And so, Lord, I pray over the coming weeks as I preach this series, as others come and minister in this series, Lord, that it would be so encouraging, so transforming and so renewing of our minds that our identity, our lives will never be the same. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, keep looking at the screens and you're going to see an introductory clip to our series, Identity Crisis. We are living in a culture that is suffering from an identity crisis. Everyone has asked the question, who am I? And what am I here for? Unfortunately, we look for the answer in all the wrong places. And in doing so, we anesthetize ourselves to the truth of who God has created us to be. One of the greatest battles is to believe what God says about us. In order to walk in the freedom that God has for us, we must believe that our identity is in Christ alone.
Okay, well, I want to invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 3. We're going to read from verse 13 uh, through to chapter 4, verse 11. And we're going to look at uh, an encounter in Jesus' life right at the beginning of his ministry, the baptism of Jesus, and then he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And this passage is going to introduce the whole topic of identity crisis. Uh, Verse 13 of Matthew 3 says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, and this was Jesus' Father, "'This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased.'" Chapter 4, verse 1, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. I don't blame him. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you on their hands. They will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the Bible says the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. We're talking about identity crisis. And for me, one of my biggest struggles that I wrestled with in my adolescent years was the answer to the question, who am I? And I tried to answer that question by identifying what I was going to do rather than who I was becoming in my life. And so my dream growing up was to be an Olympic athlete, to win a whole bunch of gold medals and make a whole lot of money, travel the world competing. I know Pastor Luke here on my right, he he thinks that's a great idea too. And that was my idea, you know, and I equated that if I would achieve that, if I would do that, then that would mean that I was significant, I was important, I was somebody. And this idea, this functional paradigm of you are what you do was exacerbated by my high school career teacher who would ask me, what do you want to do when you leave high school? And for any year nine and ten boy in high school, you're just trying to work out what the heck you're going to do at recess and lunchtime, let alone what you're going to do for the rest of your life when you leave high school. Our culture operates out of this functional paradigm that says you are what you do. And this cultural idea is compounded every time we meet someone new. It eventually gets around to, and what do you do for a living? You've never had someone walk up to you and ask, well, who are you and who do you want to be? 
You get asked, what do you do for a living? We don't like to admit it, but often what we do is we shape our judgment of somebody based upon their answer. So depending upon their job, depending upon their industry, depending upon their, uh, I guess, status or stature in life, the, the natural broken human response is to sort of categorize them according to what they do. Well, psychoanalyst Eric Erickson, he has identified eight stages of identity formation throughout our lives. And in the fifth stage of adolescence, there is a crisis between our identity and our role in the world. And for many young people, let alone adults, this produces identity confusion. And the universal question that every adolescent asks themselves is, who am I and what on earth am I here for? The reason we ask that question is because God has created every single one of us for a purpose. The Bible says in, in Proverbs 16:4, the Lord has made everything for its purpose. Life without purpose becomes time without meaning. Let me say that again. Life without purpose becomes time without meaning. No one wants to get to the end of their life and look back over their life and go, what did any of my life mean? And, and we would only ask that question if we haven't lived on purpose. We've been designed for a purpose. We want to live on purpose. We don't want to waste our time or our lives. Now, if that universal question, who am I and what on earth am I here for, isn't answered sufficiently, we carry an identity crisis into adulthood. And so I've ministered to people and uh, pastorally counseled people over many years who are in their 50s, 60s and 70s who are still asking that question, who am I and what on earth am I here for? And because of our brokenness, we try to answer that question by looking in all of the wrong places. We look to the cultural icons of success and status, stuff, material things, possessions, and even sexuality. And we falsely believe that the accumulation of these things will equate to the right image according to the dominant opinion of the culture. And therefore, if we have the right image, it will equate to the right identity and that will give us meaning in life. And what we do and what our culture has done has misinterpreted image for identity. And it's left all of us feeling increasingly empty in our own hearts and in our own lives. And we need to answer the question today, what is the answer to our identity crisis? How do we resolve this? Because many, many uh, people across earth, let alone ourselves, we're all searching for the answer to that universal question. Well, it begins with understanding that we need to see ourselves as God sees us. Someone once said, we are three people, how we see ourselves, how others see us, and how God sees us. And the greatest challenge in life is to actually begin to identify yourself in Christ alone, not Christ and success, not Christ and status, not Christ and stuff, not Christ and even your sexuality, but in Christ alone. 
our society emphasizes that you always need something else to find meaning, significance, when we discover that our identity only comes into a place of wholeness in Christ alone. In Galatians 3.26, the Bible says this, For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God, meaning children of God, through faith. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. You see, the Bible is telling us that beyond nationality, status or gender, God wants us to find our identity in Christ and Christ alone. And when we start to define ourselves outside of how God sees us, we begin to shut off the supply line to everything Jesus has secured for us on the cross 2,000 years ago. And next week in my message on being a new creation, we're going to discover what are those things that Jesus has in fact secured for us on the cross when he died for us and rose again. The truth is we cannot consistently behave in a way that is inconsistent with how we perceive ourselves. I need to say that again because that's really important that we wrap our minds and our hearts around this. We cannot consistently behave in a way that is inconsistent with how we perceive ourselves. You see, right believing leads to right behaviour. If we don't believe the truth about who we are in Christ, that's going to impact not only our own sense of personhood and identity, but the fruit of that identity in our actions and how we relate to the world around us. Now, if Jesus Christ was fully and properly man, as much as he was fully and properly God, then the Bible tells us that Jesus was able to sympathize with us in our weaknesses. He was able to identify with us in those moments of weakness, even though he remained sinless. And so because Jesus, the Word that became flesh and dwelt amongst us, was able to identify with some of the same wrestles and challenges that you and I faced, then Jesus also was confronted with the question, who am I? just like we are. And not only would he asked himself that question, but frequently throughout Jesus' life, Jesus was asked that question by people around him. In fact, the Pharisees were always trying to find out who is this guy? I mean, he's moving in miracles and signs and wonders and, and uh, we're, we're trying to work out. Our, our brain is trying to wrap itself around who this person actually is. And it was Jesus' answer to that very question, who are you? That ended up costing Jesus his life. It became so offensive to the Pharisees because they just couldn't compute that Jesus Christ was the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Well, in Matthew chapter 3 and 4, we see this amazing encounter between Jesus and Satan. Satan tries at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry to undermine Jesus' mission by attacking Jesus' identity as the Son of God. You need to understand something about your adversary, the devil himself. His primary target of attack is your self-image. And the reason is, is because he doesn't want you to know who you are in Christ. 
If you discover who you are in Christ, then he knows that you have authority over all of the deceptive lies that he brings against you and anything that reminds Satan of God's image and glory and authority over him is a threat to him. And so he does all that he can to undermine and distort the brokenness of your identity to provoke a crisis throughout your entire life because he knows that if your identity remains broken, then the fruit of that in every other area of your life will be a threat to, will will not be a threat to his agenda to steal, kill and destroy your life. So why don't we look at Jesus' encounter in this passage of Scripture in the wilderness and what we're going to do is we're going to contrast the lies of the enemy with the truth of of what God's Word says about who we are in Christ. Firstly, at the end of chapter 3, we see that Jesus is getting baptised by his cousin, John the Baptist. And the Bible says that the heavens were open and the Spirit of God descended and remained upon Jesus like a dove. The Bible says there was a voice from heaven. It was the Father's voice. And this voice said, uh, Behold, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Now, it's so important you understand that Satan's lie to us is that you get your identity from what other people say about you. And this is all about people approval and feeling significant and important in other people's eyes. But God's truth to us is that you get your identity from what God says about you according to the truth of God's Word. You see, in Jesus' baptism, as the Father declared and read out to the universe Jesus' birth certificate, we see that before Jesus ever preached a sermon, before He healed the sick, raised the dead, or cast out a devil, Jesus lived with the security of affirmation from His heavenly Father. Jesus' identity wasn't found in His performance, even as the Messiah, but in His relationship with His heavenly Father. In fact, Jesus said, I only ever do that which I see my Father doing. Such was the connection that He had with His Father. He lived out of this intimacy. He lived out of this revelation and it defined His identity. Jesus, in fact, asked His disciples, Who do people say that I am? And he wasn't taking a popularity poll or vote like a a politician may. He was actually trying to find out where is the level of revelation in the wider community of who I actually am. And then he asked the disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter responded back, you are the Messiah, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you. You didn't get that off social media. You didn't get that by reading a book. You got that by revelation from my heavenly Father. He said, I've heard that somewhere before. My Father, in fact, declared that over my life right at the beginning of my ministry. You see, we learn from this, your identity is as secure as your revelation in what God, your Father, says about you. And the great battle for our identity is to believe what God says about you rather than what the world says about you. Insecurity says if enough of the right people, whoever the right people are in your world, 
Maybe there are heroes of people that you look up to in your industry. Maybe there are people in your workplace, colleagues, peers, and you're like, if enough of those people, the right people, maybe famous people, people in your particular, you know, desired industry, if enough of the right people say enough of the right things about me, then I am somebody important, I am significant. But you've got to understand something. The opinions of people are fickle. We see in the life of the Apostle Paul, one moment they applaud you and want to worship you as a God. The next moment, the Apostle Paul was getting stoned and kicked out of the city. And it was in the same chapter of the Bible and by the same group of people. I heard someone say once, opinions are like armpits. Everyone's got one and most of them stink. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. You cannot live or rise and fall based upon the opinions of people as well-meaning or well-intended as people's opinions may be. You've got to secure your identity in the truth of what God says about you beyond what people around you are saying. You can't afford to have a thought in your head about you that God doesn't have in His head about you. We've got to start to begin to think uh, about ourselves, how God thinks of us, rather than how the enemy or the world or even the opinions of people around about us. Well, as Jesus, after He was baptised, moved into the wilderness, fasting 40 days, 40 nights, He was hungry. I don't blame Him. He was in a place of vulnerability. Satan will always attack you in your greatest place of vulnerability. And Jesus was physically hungry, physically tired, also pointing us to that whilst He was fully and properly God, He was also fully and properly man. And the Bible tells us in verse 3 of chapter 4 that Satan attacks Jesus' identity. Doesn't attack his ministry, he attacks his identity. And the Bible says that Satan said, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Here is Satan's lie. You get your identity, Jesus, from what you have done what you achieve, what you perform, what you do. God's truth says you get your identity from what Christ has done for you on the cross. You've got to work out how you're going to live your life, how you're going to approach your, your life and your identity because Satan tempted Jesus to prove his identity through performing a miracle to meet his need. And Satan tries to do the same thing with us. He wants us to try and define ourselves by our achievements, by our jobs, by the things that we do. I remember years ago, I was uh, ministering at a church in uh, Sydney, and I prayed for a woman at the altar who was paralyzed by fear about leaving the police force. And in fact, she uh, had felt that the tug of the Holy Spirit on her heart to move into a different industry and a different job, but was gripped and paralyzed by fear because she said to me in her words, I don't know who I am apart from my career as a police officer. She'd come to identify herself through her badge, through her job, through her career, through her achievements in the police force. And many people do the same thing with their jobs and their achievements in their life. Now, Pastor Luke Connerton is uh, a, a handsome man of God, and he is with us today in, uh, 
In fact, my police jacket that he's impersonating a police officer, I hear that's not a good thing and you could be charged for that. But it's all under the covenant of grace. So it's all okay. So here, here is Pastor Luke looking very sharp in this police for, uh, uniform today. And I guess one of the things that um, I've observed and discovered about our achievements is that many of us wear our achievements like a uniform. We look at the things that we've achieved in our life. Maybe it's the degree that you studied in university. Maybe it's the position that you hold in your company. Maybe it's the uh, bank account or lack of that you define yourself by. Um, we, we look at things that we do and our culture celebrates this idea of the self-made man or woman that it's what we do in our own strength, in our own ability. Maybe it's the house you live in. Maybe it's the car you drive. But we look at the things that we achieve with our uh, sweat and with our hard work and with our efforts, and we almost wear them like a uniform. And we think, well, I must be somebody. You know, defining yourself by your performance is a never-ending roller coaster ride of emotions. Because when you're doing well and when you're performing well, you're up. But when you're not doing so well, all of a sudden you're down and it affects your temperament, your attitude, how you relate to everybody around you. And even during this season of COVID-19, the social and economic fallout has paralyzed so many people in their identity because nearly half a million uh, people in Victoria alone no longer have the same job that they had before COVID-19. They're unemployed, they're out of work. And so a lot of people in this season who are without some of the uh, supporting mechanisms of their life, of the things they used to do, are asking themselves that question, well, who actually am I when all of my achievements are stripped away? And you may be coming to yourself today and saying, well, as long as I wear my uniform of achievements, I am okay. But what happens when the uniform is taken off? What happens when all of those things are taken away from you? Apart from being a very muscular pastor, I can assure you today you are somebody because you find your identity in Christ alone and not in the uniform of your achievements or the things that the world says defines you as being important. In fact, the Apostle Paul learned in any and every circumstance the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. He found his strength in Christ and Christ alone. Where are you finding purpose and meaning in your identity? Where are you finding those things in your life that is keeping you healthy and buoyant in your own personhood and identity? It must be found in Christ and Christ alone, not in the achievement achievements of whatever God gives us the ability or skill or grace to do in our lives. You see, the world says your identity is found in me, in you, in what you achieve. But Ephesians 1 outlines that every spiritual blessing is given to us because we are found in Him, in Christ alone. Well, the story goes on with Jesus' encounter with the enemy. And in verse 8, the Bible says the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these, Satan said, I will give you if you fall down and worship me. 
And Jesus said, Begone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. You see, this is Satan's ultimate lie. You get your identity from worshiping self as Lord. In other words, the status that you achieve for yourself. But God's truth is, you actually get your identity from worshiping Jesus as Lord of Lords and as King over your heart. You see, to worship self as King is to worship Satan as Lord. You may have never thought about that, but that is exactly, in fact, what happens. Why? Because Satan, Lucifer, was all about the glory of himself. In fact, before Satan fell and became Satan, he was Lucifer, he was an angel in heaven, and he had gems and rocks on his breastpiece as the worship leader of heaven to reflect light and glory back to God. But instead of reflecting light and worship back to God, Lucifer decided that he was going to receive for himself worship and honour. You see, Lucifer was created to be a worshipper. He was created to reflect back to who God was, uh, all the glory and all the honour. But instead, Lucifer said, I will be like God. I will ascend to the throne. I will receive the worship that only God is designed for. God is built for. God can receive. I will receive it for myself. And the Bible says He is thrown down to hell itself. Whereas Jesus, the great high priest of our soul, the Messiah, the Son of God, He said, not my will in the garden, but your will be done. And the Bible says He's now seated at the right hand of the Father. And we are seated with Him if we're found in Him in heavenly places. You see, Satan's deception to Adam and Eve was you will be like God if you take matters into your own hands. If you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will be like God. And Adam and Eve forgot they already were made in the image and likeness of God. They already were like God. And there were things that the Father was trying to protect them from so that they wouldn't suffer from a broken, distorted crisis in their own identity. You see, Satan's lying to every single one of us just like Adam and Eve, is you can be like God by glorifying yourself and taking matters into your own hands. I love what Ray Hughes said, and I quote, if pride can make angels demons, what can it do to us? You see, the truth is, we're living in a selfie generation. We're living in a generation where identity is found in the promotion of oneself. It seems like the more you promote oneself or the more that you become about yourself, that the spirit of the age, the spirit of the culture actually is drawn and attracted to people who elevate and exalt themselves. Even recently, a documentary called Social Dilemma talks about tech companies capitalising on our obsession with ourselves. And what has happened with social media is that it has become an altar of self-worship rather than a tool to point to the ultimate creator of the heavens and the earth. I want to encourage you, nothing wrong with social media as a tool and a servant, but don't you dare let it become your master and begin to shape and distort your identity in who you actually are in Christ Jesus.
You know, every single day, uh, hopefully, that you would groom yourself or have a shower, keep yourself clean, pretty important these days in uh, lockdown. Uh, we uh, often will go to the mirror and, you know, we'll make sure we look half decent and uh, maybe do your hair or make sure things aren't growing on your face from the night before's dinner or whatever it may be. But we go to the mirror and what the mirror does, the mirror reflects back to us our image. We see a picture, a glimpse of who we are. It's so important that you understand that your identity is like a mirror. Your identity was never designed to receive worship. Your identity was designed like a mirror to reflect back to God the worship that only belongs to Him as well so that when people see us, the light of God's glory, the light of His presence, all of a sudden begins to reflect back to who He is. No wonder so many famous people, celebrities and and sports stars and rock stars, their lives, their personal lives, implode because they're trying to receive worship rather than reflect worship back to God. It's not supposed to come to you. It's supposed to go through you. And so your identity in your life, when you come into an understanding of who you are in Christ and Christ alone, you become a worshipper of Jesus rather than becoming a worshipper of self. You see, an identity crisis can only be resolved when we see ourselves the way God sees us. And it begins with number one, I've said it all the way through, believing the truth, firstly, about what God says about you. Secondly, receiving by faith what Christ has already done for you on the cross. And lastly, worshipping Jesus as Lord and King over our hearts. I love the words of Neil T. Anderson where he says this, the only identity equation that works is Christ plus you equals wholeness. What about you today? Do you identify with some of the things that I'm talking about? Have you begun to define yourself and your identity, your meaning, your value, your worth by the lies of the enemy? His lies and his tricks are are as old as Matthew chapter 4. He, he used the same strategies, the same deception in Matthew 4 that he used in Genesis chapter 3 at the fall of humanity. He doesn't have any new tricks in the bag, but in our brokenness, we often fall to the deception and the lies of the enemy. But today, I'm telling you God's truth. Notice how Jesus responded. It is written. He came back and counted it with the truth of what God's Word says rather than how He felt, rather Rather than the opinions of people, he came back to the revelation of truth in God's Word. It is the only sure foundation to build our identity and our lives upon. You know, if you're like me, uh, very much, very human, uh, very real and authentic in the wrestles and the things that we all go through in our lives, we've all wrestled with trying to define ourselves by the things of this world be it success, status, stuff, or sexuality, or other things. Many of us only measure our value and worth by the things that this world offers us. And I'm telling you today, God has another and a better way for you to begin to look at your life and to define yourself. It's how He sees you, 
not even how you see you or as the world sees you, but as God sees you today. I want to pray for you today that if you've wrestled with this in your life, like I have, like all of us have at some point, that the key to our victory over the identity crisis is actually discovering our identity in Jesus. So let's pray together. Father, I just thank you today. I thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your grace and the example that we have in the person of Jesus Christ. I thank you that when Jesus' identity was tested, when his identity was in fact under attack, that he came back to the truth of what God as our Heavenly Father, what you said, what the Word says, and he stood upon it is written, not this is what I feel. And today, Father, I pray for people who may be wrestling right now in a season like COVID-19 with who am I? What on earth am I here for? Maybe that was a question coming into this season. Maybe it'll be a question that we still wrestle with coming out of this season. And yet, Father, we're reminded today that you see us in a very different way to how the world sees us, to how even we see ourselves. And God, I pray today that you would help us by the presence and power of your Holy Spirit over the coming six weeks as we look at this series on identity crisis, that God, you would do a work in us beyond, Lord, what we perceive to be significant and important, even in church life, even in the Kingdom of God, be it being on the platform or whatever profile or whatever it may be, that we would discover and find peace in our hearts, contentment in our spirits, security in the affirmation that we are Your children and in us You are well pleased. We love You, God. We honour You. We want to be more like Jesus. And as we worship Jesus as our Lord and Saviour, we discover who we really are in You. We want to not receive worship, but reflect worship back to You. We know we're not designed for it, but we're designed to be a cre- to, to, to give You worship. We're created to honour You and worship You with everything within us. God, come and heal broken identities right now in Jesus' Name through this Word. Lord, right now I just sense, even as I'm praying right now, the Spirit of God is in that room with You. The Spirit of God is speaking to You. The Spirit of God is moving and healing and restoring and reconciling areas and fragments of Your broken identity. And He's making it whole and He's making it uh, pure and in line with the truth of who He is. Father, right now come by Your Spirit. Lord, as we worship You, as we sing, bring healing to our identities right now in Jesus' Name. Come on, let's sing. We're going to worship together. Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today, we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that He gave us His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died, and rose again, conquering sin, Satan, and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead, and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you are ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. 
I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life. And I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. You can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.